0: Hi, listeners. We're just dropping by before the episode starts to remind you that
1: we have in a couple weeks an advice episode. Some of you have already sent us some questions that are really great that we're going to cover in the advice episode but just so everyone knows our email is number one more thing podcast at gmail.com uh you can ask us anything you can have it be anonymous you can choose for everyone to know who you are
0: just send us an email no question is off limits you can also dm us on social media at one more thing with an a because i was taken we're going to try and answer every question everything from uh, I haven't read what any of the questions are yet, so I can't give a break.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And if you want advice on how to date us, you can DM us personally. So Yeah,
0: on with the show. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Jay.
1: And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast celebrating LGBTQ plus pop culture. That's not that's not that's it. Not that's right? not the line.
0: Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert, I'm Jay. And I'm
1: Robert. Welcome to One More Thing. Nope- that's no, not it! <laughs> Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm Robert.
0: And I'm Jay. Ooh,
1: that, <laughs> that sounds, sounds weird. weird. Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert. I'm-, I'm... Nope. <laughs> Welcome to One More Thing with Jay and Robert.
0: I'm Jay. And I'm Robert. One More Thing is a podcast celebrating pop culture through an LGBTQ plus lens. I did it, okay. <laughs>
1: So we should say before we go any further, there is a full parade passing us right now. Just some New York City underscoring. So sorry about that in advance.
0: This is part two of our series on religion and queerness. Mm -hmm. And today's episode is focused on Islam and queerness. And we have a guest with us because we know nothing about anything, as always. (laughs) 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 Tell us your name, how you identify, and the book, movie, and person you would take with you to a desert island.
2: Hi everyone, my name is Wazina, and so I identify as a queer Muslim Afghan raised in New York City, and my pronouns are she, her, hers, they, and their. The book I would take is a thesaurus. Oh, that's good, that's smart. Since I was in high school, I was like, a thesaurus is the book you would always take. Person, I actually decided I would take my cats. And I think I have a cat I would take. I have one cat in particular out of my three that I would definitely take. Yeah, if you ask anybody, they know which cat I would take. Um, I would say it in front of the other cats too. And movie, you know, one of like the Oceans 11, 12, like those movies, I think. Like, I love Breakfast Club. There's a whole mm-hmm. genre of movies that I'm obsessed with, like Breakfast Club and then Horror Movies and then The Office and Bob's Burgers. But I think it would be like maybe like the Ocean's 11 type movies.
1: So I was really excited about this episode because I know very little mm-hmm. about the religion. Not that this is new to me, like I had never heard these words before, but I have no meaning behind it. So... First off, everything that I say is coming from not having the background knowledge yeah, on it, uh, and then I'm not uh, judging anything yeah. or anybody.
2: Yeah, we're s-
0: here first and foremost yeah. to learn.
2: I oh, know I'm not worried about that project. <laughs> oh, that's not for you, that's and for yeah. them.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we both know a lot about Judaism, mm-hmm. and then I know nothing about anything else. Okay. So... <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you feel, Robert, but I feel like there's sort of a lot of misconceptions and assumptions about Islam more so than a lot of other religions. Or at least, you know, in today's particular Mm -hmm. climate, there's a lot of assumptions that people have that people don't take a lot of time to fact-check. So can you just tell us for us and our listeners, we have like a baseline for this. How do you define the foundations of Islam?
2: Well, the foundations of Islam are based on like their major pillars of shahada, which is like saying there's no other god other than Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And for Muslims, they also believe in Judaism came first, then Christianity and then Islam. So it's all very Abrahamic. It's all in the Mm -hmm. Abrahamic tradition. So the shahada, prayer five times a day. There's also you know doing your pilgrimage. Should you have the means and can you go, you should go to your pilgrimage in Mecca, Um, there's also um, fasting, Ramadan, which we are in that time, Mm -hmm. and also Zakat, which is giving, whether it's financially, being of service. So those are the major pillars, and to me, that's just like just being a good human, right? So like Mm -hmm. you believe in your God, you judgment and judging others, whether it's another person of another faith or even other Muslims is not encouraged. Like no one should have a say in how you do your religion and how religious you are. Other than God, so there's it's almost like mind your own business and just do you know stay in your lane. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's how I always was like raised with Islam, but it's about peacefulness and Islam. When you say salam, it just means peace, and so there is about your submission to a higher being, and um, that's what Islam is for me. But there's also many. There's three major sects: Sunnis, Shias, and Sufis. Well, Sufis, you can also be Shia or Sunni and be in, within the oh. Sufi tradition, which is mm-hmm. more the mystical, almost like if there was an equivalent of like the be your kind of a version of Islam that would be it. But the major difference between the Sunnis and Shias is 80% of Muslims that we know of in the world, like and I was raised as a Sunni Muslim but didn't realize that because that there's almost like having that's like the more privileged identity within Islam because if I have an app on my phone, what should I do that goes off and tells me it's prayer time. It's on Sunni time. Shia prayer time is almost like a few minutes later. So even when we talk about breaking fast during Ramadan right now, the major time right now is 809. But if you're Shia you wait about 15 more minutes and the reason for that is when the Prophet, peace be upon him, died, the succession the, or the debate over who would be next in line to succeed after the Prophet, the conversation was should it be his family members? his cousins or should it be the clo- ones closest to him oh. and Shias were in the bloodline of the prophet and Sunnis were like the people who were closest to him his ad- they claimed that they were advised to be the next in line so that's like the major the division for me growing up as a Sunni I, I don't know if it's I guess it is just privilege when you don't realize you have all this entitlement and like the conversation revolves around your major identity Um, as somebody who is getting to know more about Shias and like in, when there's Muslim on Muslim violence there's almost always Sunnis murdering Shias is. Oh, okay. um, it's a very, yeah, it's just like something that I don't always, you know, like I never really thought about. But again, that's what happens when you have like blinders on because you're part of that privileged identity. And then for me, there's like, I grew up in a culture and in a family that identifies as Muslim from generation to generations ago. Mm-hmm. So for me, there's so much collapsing of cultural experience and mm-hmm. tradition, much like my Jewish friends might also have like there might be culturally Jewish and you can claim that as an that is your identity and that's even for some of their ethnicity in some ways and then there's the spiritual religious folks who are Muslim you know and there's like I always like I collapsed like do we do this and that growing up because we're Muslim or is it because we're Afghan and a lot of times it was like you know my parents would say things sometimes like you know Muslim girls can't do that or you can't wear that or you shouldn't you're not allowed to go out or something like that it was like is that an Afghan thing or a Muslim thing because Islam really is very feminist to me and very more 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 just than it is about oppressive mm-hmm yeah but I also get told that I simplify it so much or too much I don't wear hijab I was raised to like be more modest for sure but we didn't grow up in a family where we didn't interpret the Quran to have to wear hijab or you know anything of the sort like you know even in high school when I wanted to like you know wear sweatpants I didn't want to shave because also my mother didn't let me shave let me just say that oh which again is her cultural so my mom's like no you're not gonna you're just because she equated shaving with sex no one was uh... having sex with me in high school just want to say that <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, can I? Can you write a note saying that I have to wear sweatpants? My dad's like, my dad's like, no, wear shorts. I was like, oh God, you're ruining this for me. Like, can I just like use Islam for something to benefit again? <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Has this ever happened to you? You suddenly come into some extra money. You're thinking, man, I've paid my rent, I've bought my food, and I've got five extra dollars this month. What am I gonna do with it? Well have we got news for you. You can take that $5 and you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash one more thing. And you can give that $5 a month to your trusty friends, Jay and Robert. And with that money, if you give us $1 a month, you'll get a bonus episode every month. It might be us, I don't know, what we we doing those episodes? We fell in love once. We talked about our favorite people. For $5, you get a video every month where sometimes we cook food. Sometimes we play games. Frequently we play games. We <laughs> do <laughs> And all for the low, low price of $5 a month. Can you believe it? And by the way, at $5 a month, you get both the episode and the video. What more could you want? Honestly, honestly, what more could you want?
2: Where did you grow up? In New York City and Queens. Oh my I spent a lot of time at the Astor Place Cube trying to push it with my friends <laughs> in parasols in the middle of the summer, you know, wearing all black everything. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time on St. Mark's Place growing up. Did you go to a New York City Did you? Yeah. You place, went to a public school? I went to Bayside High School in Queens. Oh, okay. On St. Mark's Place, right before, I guess, is that Third Avenue, there used to be, before that thing was a Chipotle or that one of those Thai places, it was the place where I bought my prom dress, <gasps> which was called Religious Sex. It was like a goth store. So I also offered this, saying that I went to Religious Sex with my parents mm-hmm. to uh-huh. look at my prom dress and so my parents, you know, like, it doesn't matter whose parents you are, like know what the background is, like my parents I guess would be pretty progressive walking into a store where there's like latex and fetish stuff and right. I'm like I want this prom dress over here. My parents are like okay, alright. I so really <laughs> gave it up to my parents for being very progressive and open mm-hmm. and so I was really privileged to have that. My parents came to the United States in the early 80s they did their best to like balance and straddle that what we believe and who we want our daughter to be is on one hand and the other hand is that there is this lifestyle, this identity, there's just the things that happen in America, and, you know, then we have to just kind of find that tender balance of Uh, Americanizing, but also holding steadfast to our values, but when you're out and about, there's certain things you adjust to and you accommodate, and that, you know, even with dressing, like, they were open to me being, you know, a girl who wore a cape all the time. (laughs) That's (laughs) a very important detail. (laughs)
0: detail. (laughs) We'll come back to that off mic. So, growing up, you were obviously raised within the faith. Mm -hmm. Did you get any messages about, like, homosexuality or queerness or transness?
2: You know, we didn't. We definitely didn't. I mean, we got messages around gender performance, which I think oh. has, you know, like girls do this and boys do this. Oh, okay. You know, women not are drag, to yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're really progressive. But so. <laughs> um, you know, women are meant to like, when if there was guests, the women are meant to serve and, you know, or, like bring up the tea and the thing. And my brother was like nowhere to be found. So there was that, but never anything about queerness, nothing. never about homosexuality. Although we started to ask because there were always these performers at not in, not so much in the United States but at Afghan functions that were in Afghanistan we would find you know we see videos or music things People who were almost um, very gender-not-conforming, but very feminized, young boys or younger men who were performing as w- almost like in the equivalent of a woman role. For Afghans particularly, and I don't know if this is entirely because of a Muslim thing, but it was a very sex-segregated culture for a while. And so men were with men women were with rem- women. It was very homosocial. But if there was going to be a dancing and a performer, it couldn't really be a woman performing for the men dancing. It was always like this feminized young man. And then so we started asking my dad about it, like, what are, you know... So so he he did talk to us about bachabozi which is essentially pedophilia it's not necessarily like a normalized so like young boys who are taken in and feminized and they're performers oh, yeah. they're dancers yeah, you know and that wasn't ever used as, a, as an example of like oh yes it's okay my dad was like it was never okay but there were always very powerful men who had these boys until they basically hit puberty and there are now documentaries and stuff called like yeah. the dancing boys yeah. in Afghanistan and I also have to own that my Islam 101 One here is very, you know, Afghan-centric. Sure. The bacha piece is very—it's a—it's a very sad reality because those boys are sexualized, they're objectified. Often, I mean, it's not consensual sexual relations for sure if they're and many men deny that they're having sexual relations but even if you're not sexually involved there's a sexualization that happens mm-hmm. and sometimes many of the families are okay with sending their child to do this because of decades of war it's the only way to financially support a family sometimes you know oh. so it's like it's sex work what age does that usually start pre-puberty wow pre-puberty and then post like once they hit puberty and they're like and because of perhaps so much homophobia internalized homophobia it's the reminder that this is a boy you know, or a man now, and so that, sh- that poor young person is now disposable. Mm-hmm. And we never otherwise talked about women's sexual agency, so there was no equivalent of bacha bozi for women, right? right? Um, there was never that conversation. And my parents never really said anything to... I don't think I... Maybe there was, like, subtle messages around, like, don't be gay. There was always a message of, like, we'll pick your husband for you, and you're never allowed to have a boyfriend, which I'm like, you just created the perfect, you know soil for me to be gay (laughs) I have no other choice but be be with women (laughs) more about gender the right way to do gender but not necessarily like don't be gay or that Islam doesn't allow gayness that is the one thing that I that has made my coming out so much more easeful internally is that I never equated being queer with hellfire which I think so many of my other friends who are Muslim were raised explicitly being told that it's not okay to be gay within Islam the Quran doesn't allow for it and God hates gays but I never had that conversation until maybe later when sometimes it was like, this is problematic for our afterlife. Do you find that to be a Western thing that your parents,
0: everyone in your life didn't really talk about Is that more of a Western thing or is that just like the community you were in?
2: I think it's a combo. I think because of the community I was in, so my sisters are straight and many of my cousins are heterosexual. Almost all of them are. And we never talked about liking boys for our parents either. Mm-hmm. So I think sexual agency and being sexually active was something that was not talked about ever. And this is, I think, a general sentiment in many Muslim families that I know that you didn't talk about sexuality as openly as maybe like your Western counterparts did. Mm-hmm. And so maybe like conversations about dating, that sort of thing is much more, you know, Western or, yeah, than 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 it was for our households. And even the idea of coming out, though. You know, like, the idea of coming out and talking about your sexual identity, a Western notion. i And so, for many queer Muslims, the necessity to tell your parents you're gays is also like, not everyone needs to come out the same way, nor will everyone's coming out be the same, because I think we've thought of coming out and parents being very accepting and then becoming, the natural lineup is they have a struggle and then they become a people like parent. Right. Uh-huh. But that may not happen for everyone's family and I think many of us bet ourselves and judge our parents through the lens of like, this is the natural progression of being gay and coming out and if I don't have the conversation and then if my parents don't become people like parents, they hate me, they're not the right parents. Like, you know, they're like not loving. But there's other forms of compassion and loving and forms of acceptance that our parents give us that don't always, that may not look like that. But doesn't mean that we don't have this, we don't have success we just have to redefine benchmarks for
1: success a little bit differently so where where did queerness get introduced for you oh, when, yeah. like when did that happen mm.
2: so i came out to myself really young like i knew i was like a queer or a lesbian and i was out in like 13 14 years old part of the thing about me being muslim was that being muslim and an immigrant kid you're weird no matter what because you stood out Right? why i grew up in queens you're still not part of like the majority, you don't, you know, you don't look like the kids on TV. You don't have Christmas, so you're, you know, you're something, some sort of an outsider, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew I as an outsider, didn't grow up speaking English until later, and then being Muslim, right? And being Muslim in this country is a queer identity, and I say that because we have a systemic, institutional policies, threat level yellow, all those things create war. If you're, if we are consistently, for the course of my entire lifetime, in the course of our lifetimes to be for a good chunk of time if we're constantly at war with muslim countries and demonizing vilifying muslim leaders and people who live there then you will always be queer because you will always be on the outskirts you're not part of the norm and so for me being queer i always felt other so as a immigrant as a muslim and so for me as a girl who wore capes so it was really easy to embrace being weird because i was like and i also knew i was gay so i always was in that queer world and you know like i always felt that i came out in high school and then i went to college and I was just you know I didn't come out in college I was already like went to college out and I just happened to find people who wanted to like do things together I was like yes like you know that was great <laughs> and then I came out to my parents after co- I graduated college because I also had I didn't have to rely on them anymore mm-hmm. or I right. did rely on them in some ways but I didn't have to I did have a fear if I came out and if I came out in a particular way that was unapologetic or that sort of thing then I would lose access to like funds or resources
1: mm-hmm. and so when you say some topics you just didn't talk about mm-hmm. is it more of a you don't talk about this or is it it's just not a conversation that happens
2: a little bit of both yeah i th- but I think Maine is a conversation that doesn't happen, uh, or doesn't happen as much. But I, in that time, the, there was... Ellen came out, what, 97, 98? Yeah. On TV, yeah. well, it also wasn't a national conversation as much, right? right? Where like it could be a teachable moment, or you could like, be like, oh, so what do you think about this? You know, mm-hmm. like even as queer kids now, can they can test their parents a little bit in this generation because there's so many things like don't ask, don't tell. Maybe was a thing that we could have used right. to like initiate a conversation. But I don't think it was just a f- my family thing or just a Muslim thing. I think it was as a national, as a nation, we didn't have the entry points to have the at-home conversations.
1: I come from a strict religious background, I come from a Middle Eastern background. It's so hard when you are already marginalized, when you already come from a a minority group and then to add on another minority group onto that is very difficult. My DMs have been flooded with literally tens of thousands of DMs from people all over the world saying what an impact this is having on their lives.
0: Last season when we did our Christianity episode, we went to a service at Judson Memorial Mm -hmm. Church because we wanted to sort of get a sense of what Christianity is and we wanted to go to a service to research for this episode But we had a lot of trouble finding like a queer friendly place of worship in the city Are there like queer friendly Muslim spaces?
2: So the beauty of Islam and also the hard part right for this is that I love that Islam is such a personal thing or it's a personal experience like it's you could if you choose to pray you choose to pray you can it's you and the rug you know in my case i do wear a veil when i pray you have that very personal relationship with allah and should you be told by everybody else that it's not okay and that you shouldn't be out and you can't be that it's impossible if it doesn't break your relationship with god you can still have it right and also one of the beauties of being muslim is also the ummah you're like the fact that you belong to this spiritual community of brothers and sisters across the globe right you belong to a crew you have a, you have this whole crew of other muslims right and so going to mosque can be this beautiful community moment. But if you are a queer person or you're a gender nonconforming person, it's hard to do. It's nearly impossible sometimes to find an affirming mosque. It m- you might have an imam or the equivalent of a you know a priest or a clergy person, an imam or a mullah who might be affirming secretly. Oftentimes it's a lot more, a lot more like they usually don't lead khutbas or sermons that talk about LGBT identity. And I think I might be making a generalization, but generally, there are very few and far between imams that are as open more and more, especially after Pulse and as Muslims as a community, overall community, like in this nation are thinking about how we are racialized, how Islamophobia plays out, more and more leaders are being pushed to have conversations and think about other forms of discrimination that affect and then how all oppressions are interconnected. And so they're beginning to have conversations, making statements against homophobic violence, against anti-black violence, that sort of thing. But in New York City, the NYU services, Muslim services, and the imam who leads that is inclusive, but it's still sex segregated. Mm generally, and so if you are a GNC person and a non-conforming person, it can be a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps, but that is more open, there's more conversations. There is a whole community of people who are Muslim that are leading the New Unity Mosque movement, so in different cities around the country, they're kind of starting, they're like very grassrootsy, like getting space from a Unitarian Universalist church, you know, like and like having space there on Fridays so to have group, you know, have to have Friday services. There's a whole group in Toronto, the Toronto New Unity Mosque, I wanna say and we can Skype in. They have they have Friday oh. Skype oh. sessions and they generally are not just affirming they are like gender equal spaces. Women lead prayer, GNC people lead prayer. It's much is very open to also people who are converts and reverts to Islam because mosques oftentimes if you want to go to one, they are, it's one culture, right? So you have like the Bengali one, you have maybe the black Muslim crew, you have like the Afghan one, and they're not always as as integrated, even racially. And so if you're somebody who's not part of that community, you can feel uncomfortable. I know that like I've gone to Friday services with my parents, where they now live in Jersey, and it's mainly a Pakistani crew, and the khutbah and the services are in like Urdu. I'm like, uh, I don't know any of this. I can't tap into it. I can tap into like how good it can sort of feel to be in a religious space. Space and but my faith, you know, feels like I can tap into it even if I don't know the, the language that's being spoken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But some people want the guidance. So all that to say, there's the new Unity mosques. Um, the one here at NYU. There's also Muslims with progressive values. So they're like the progressive arm of Islam. But many Muslims are actually more progressive than we give them credit for. Because Muslims in America are overwhelmingly down with like a more progressive, democratic, liberal agenda than they aren't. Oh, so much more than I think. People think. Because I think also Muslims do know, and I this is something that I was taught as a Muslim, that uh, no matter where you are, you must as a Muslim, you must follow the rules of the culture and the country you live in. Oh, no one's trying to get Sharia law anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. you are a citizen of that country, and your faith is your faith, but you follow the rules of that country. I don't, Muslims are not trying to go around like Denmark and like, you know, Muslimify Denmark. <laughs> I mean, like, don't worry. Like, or like France or whatever, mm-hmm. where we see such a backlash to Muslim identity. And so the Muslims who progressive values organization. They also have uh, chapters all across the country. There's one in New York City also. There's like a New York City, New Jersey crew of the MPV movement. Again, they're open to interfaith couples, converts and reverts again, because it's also isolating if you convert to Islam and you want to break fast or you want to do these traditions, but the rest of your crew is Christian or Jewish or another right. faith. You, mm-hmm. you, you're kind of isolated. So MPV is a crew of people that host events, iftars during this time of Ram- Ramadan or Ramadan that can like, you know, just like you can get community. They'll be marching in the pride parade. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I think they'll be marching every year for a while. Mm -hmm.
1: So generally, would you say that these kind of spaces are sought out, or is it more like this is what I grew up in, like this is the community that I grew up in, and that's how I'm going to lead my faith?
2: Mm -hmm. I think it's more of, this is how I grew up in it, and then I identified I might have been gay or queer, you know, like people come out, and then they oftentimes kind of become secular or leave their religion for a minute. I think Mm -hmm. because, because I'm giving you like almost the best case scenario. Right. And very many years on the other end of things, you know, I think I can find, like, all the highlights and just be, like, grateful that I see the growth and all that stuff. But most of us, like many people of faith, you come out and then you're told no. Mm -hmm. You're told no, you can't be queer. It's an abomination. You know, your religion, and even for many Muslims, is used against you. Sometimes, as a Muslim, weird or interesting thing is that my parents never used Islam against me, but everybody else said you, can, you know you can't be gay Muslim. Like non-Muslims told me I can't be gay, I can't be gay Muslim. You know other Muslims might have told me that, but not my parents necessarily. And for many people of faith, that happens, right? So you oftentimes leave your leave your faith, and then you you once you do the healing process of becoming whole, you know, really going through the coming out process, acceptance, all that stuff, and also then accepting that like this is my parents journey or this is like everybody else's journey you then i think find a sense of completion and you feel whole or a little bit more healed up and i know that once many of us feel like we're healing you then notice that one hole that's missing you know or that that gap and you're like mm-hmm. i really might this void is that maybe i want to go back to my religion and then you find that version of your religion that can suit you and then these spaces and we create these spaces
1: that's so cool <laughs>
2: Like, I have no like
1: educated response to that. It's just 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 like, that's awesome.
2: But I mean, and I say this version of it, but I also know that there's still like, what I recently read comments on a video the other day that it was a good idea. Oh my god, it's yeah, I should never read the comments. But I read the comments so I can screenshot them so I can actually make a bigger piece called Never Read the Comments. (laughs) The comments are still really homophobic, still very anti Muslim. And I'm always like, you aren't even Muslim. You aren't even gay. What are you, you don't even believe in God. Like these like hardcore atheists that still want to uphold this anti-Muslim sentiment. And so all that to say there's still a lot of homophobia within Muslim communities, but it shows up in varying degrees. It may not show up in the most violent physical ways, thank God, but it can show up in ways that make queer Muslims feel very, very isolated. So we began five years ago so we're now celebrating our fifth anniversary and what we were looking for was a Muslim space, a Muslim identified space where people could come and be authentic to themselves and be authentic to God and not have to pretend to be somebody that they were not, whether it's in the way they dress or how they present themselves or how they introduce themselves or how they introduce their partners. And there are very few Muslim identified spaces where there are no gender or other barriers for people's full agency and full participation.
0: Because
1: we're gender equal, um, women have access to the pulpit, they have access to every level of of what's going on in the mosque. That's very different, and a lot of people think that it's actually, um, we're creating some sort of new movement. I say we're actually taking Islam back to where it is, where everybody's equal. You notice as well I do, that souls, what is that, you know what I mean, what gender is that, you know, what sexuality is a soul? So when I was doing research mm-hmm. for this, it was really hard to find anything that wasn't just about gay men.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the religion. Yeah.
1: So, what does Islam say about yeah. fairness in general? Yeah.
2: There's a story of Lot, right? Um, mm-hmm. And the story of Lot is pretty universal for many people. But there's a rev- like someone like Kisha Ali, right? And there's yes. feminist Muslim scholars and there's scholars that are revisiting the scripture of Quran and looking for reinterpretations, mm-hmm. right? So, versus saying that the people of Lot were punished for their gayness, they were actually punished in the revisionist, you know, reformist version. They were punished for raping and it's a conversation about rape and consent. That's why God punished them, not because they were gay. Right. So there's that piece. There's also parts of the Quran depends on the interpretation you find and how you read it, right? Because you read the Quran and then you can interpret it and find your own meaning of it. But there's versions. Of, there's also areas in the Quran that find, that acknowledge that there's men who don't have desire for women, but it's a lot more about men. There's not as much about women, which some take it as a sign or as like a yeah, just like saying that if there isn't an act of saying no to women. You have two women. And then it's acceptable to be a queer woman. I know you all did um, also Siraj Kugel's yeah yeah, uh, yeah work, and so there's stuff within the Quran that he's found, and like he's a major scholar. He's lovely, and he also has found pieces or ways to interpret the Quran that the Quran says that the soul stays the same, but the body can change. And so that also allows for transness and gender nonconformity, right, to be okay within Islam. Listeners, I have here a book called Sexual Ethics in Islam by Mm -hmm. Keisha
0: Ali, which is really good. She talks about the fact that a lot of the talk about, like, being trans within, like, people who are, like, really studying Islam, the problem, air quotes, is not people who are trans because they're trying to like basically make their body match their soul like they were saying but it's people who it says there are people who want to have a woman's body in order to be able lawfully to have sex with men Mm -hmm. which are Mm -hmm, and there's like a whole part about the distinction between the two which I think is something that is not really ever a conversation I think that people have in other religions about like that some people according to religion. ...religious scholars are trans because they're trying to, like, make themselves fit into the laws and the rules of the mm-hmm. religious practice, which I had never considered or heard of. Yeah. But we—you found it in a lot of your research, mm-hmm. and then it came up in this book— and I thought it was interesting that it really only has sort of come up for us when we've been researching this religion particularly. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's still very binary though, which I have to say, yeah. like there's still much very binary and I, I do wanna say that. There's parts you know, like even before the cover and I think one of the things I remember talking to my dad about we don't really talk about this stuff as much anymore because we both know it's very loaded about like gayness, like that's really right. we're getting at. But when I was younger, even prior talking about the feministness of Islam, you know, he would even say like it's a an obligation, it's necessary for a man to keep his wife sexually happy mm-hmm. right like so people we people like oh my god orgasms are mandated for women in Islam right like that's <laughs> as a sex educator that's where I'm going right but really it's still very binary and heteronormative right? Mm-hmm, right and you know Iran for a long time was saying that like look we like have we allow we condone we like as a country affirm transness by you know we pay for sex reassignment surgery or sex affirmation surgery but we we're like no uh, that for many people I think when they identify as queer or gay or lesbian I think you're just trying to get them to like fit into like the norm like which is this heteronormative binary so um, I was like Iran, I think you're trying to do it right but I also think you're just (laughs) this is like trying to make you're missing the mark because you're trying to like if it's a guy who identifies as gay they're like oh then you just naturally want to be a woman that's not the case either you're trying to fit into like the heteronormative ideal
1: I did read a lot of stuff where it was like different countries that generally practice Mm. Islam would rather take a person and pay for their reassignment surgery so that they do fit into Mm -hmm. the boxes that they would rather create and I was looking at it and I had to reread it and then I sent it in a group text to everybody and was like mm-hmm. I'm sorry like I just want to make sure that I'm reading this right that like, yeah. religion oh, will yeah. like, actively participate in someone's transness to help them fit into what they want to keep them in the religion mm-hmm. and just looking at like the way that I was brought up and the people that I was around just was completely shocked mm-hmm. and then later in actually writing the episode I was like oh well it is pretty binary where mm-hmm. like yeah. that's what they're doing and it kind of benefits them mm-hmm. <laughs> As opposed yeah. to the person and the person as well, but only but in certain cases. Yeah.
2: And it just, it's like compulsive heterosexuality though. Like that's yeah. what it's allowing for. So it doesn't really allow for as much of the queerness within it. But then some Muslim countries do or have had a history of acknowledging or affirming a third gender, whether it's hijras, right? Or even Albania where there were these like, sworn virgins. Mm-hmm. But it really it was out of necessity. It was like, right, you have a family, the male breadwinner dies, and one of the women swears she'll be a virgin, and she generally masculinizes herself to be, but it's also a woman, again, sacrifice sacrificing, you know, femme fem labor, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just like throwing this like word. I don't, I don't really know if it's actually that in that case, but these sworn virgins, right, who would then play the role of father or male person. And in many of these countries in Albania in the rural parts, they were Muslim. It was, but it was out of necessity. Also because we have these narrow ideas of what women can be and do. Only if you masculinize yourself, then you could be the breadwinner for our family. So I wanted to go back and say that when I would talk to my dad about all this stuff around like that, Islam is still very feminist. Mm-hmm. He also would say things to me like. He's like, Wazina, I also, from a country, whether it's cultural or spirit, you know, religious beliefs, like, we can't even talk so much about gay people as humans, you know, like, humanizing or, like, the ways, because there's still a long way to go to humanize women as humans. Yeah. You know, like, I, when I was a vegan and vegetarian for years, you know, they, they kind of, like, laugh at me, because my dad's like, okay, like, you want to tell me that, like, I shouldn't do violence against animals for X, Y, or Z, like, we're from a country, and, like, this country and that country that doesn't really think of women as humans, like, or as, like, full citizens. Uh-huh. So. I'm I'm having a hard time following this, but I get you. sometimes people want to have conversations about queerness and Islam out of compassion and love and learning like we are here but there's other people that want to like push buttons and find the flaws and somehow I'm going to be like oh you're right like I totally don't want to be Muslim anymore because there are all these anti-gay things in it or anti-feminist things oh I never thought of it thank you sir Um, right there's a long way for us as Muslims to go though so there's a conversation about the humanizing of women of queer people but also I have to be really honest my Muslim identity not with my bleached blonde hair but where I come from and my parents look the way most people think Muslim is supposed to look, right? Islam is a very racialized identity. When I tell you I'm Muslim, most of the time over the phone or email whatever, when I have dark hair that's what Muslim is going to look like, like Arab or South Asian. But as a community, as Muslims, we also have to like really start thinking about and talking about our anti-blackness there's so many people left out of the Muslim conversation because they're black and that's a thing on us as Muslims and that's also a thing on us as like South Asians and Arabs who have very racist mentalities and identities and we need to be having this conversation within our sermons also like making the connection between the humanity of women of queers the same way we talk about like being of service to people who are poor and need of things mm-hmm. but also we need to be thinking about racism a lot a lot more than we actually do we only talk about racism or like or we talk about like anti Muslim violence when things are happening overseas in Israel, Palestine, that conversation. But I make connection between Israel, Palestine stuff. And that's much more an ethnic thing, not a religious thing. That same thing is happening over and over in this country where people are being displaced here, like black and brown people Mm -hmm. constantly.
0: Hey, listeners. It's me, Jay. I'm here with my friend, Robert. Hi. You're currently listening to us talk about something. Probably you're sitting there being like, wow, I love this podcast. This content is amazing. I wish I could have more. Well, you're in luck. Because if you go to Twitter or Instagram and you type in one more thing with an A because I was taken, you can get so much more content. You might be thinking, man, I wonder what's going on on Grey's Anatomy. Head over to our Instagram, you can find out. You might be thinking, hey, I wonder who's running for re-election in the Senate. Head over to our Twitter, you can find out. That's a promise I don't know that I can deliver
1: on, actually. (laughs) But we can deliver on the Grey's Anatomy because it's been on for 14 seasons and still trucking along. Yeah,
0: also you can go to Facebook and click on one more thing podcast and you can use twitter and instagram to tell us what you want to hear about you can just tweet at one more thing and be like i want you to do an episode about whatever and then we'll be like cool and now back to the episode
1: have you ever seen yourself accurately represented on film or in books or tv or anything
2: not really no
1: (laughs) I was like, uh, I mean, I, I don't right want to the fish I for the it. no. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, like, because it's funny, because I have never seen um, the bold type. Yeah. I haven't. I'm like, and I'm also not a hijabi woman. So, like, Tina Belcher. We it. <laughs> <Girls> are me.
1: <laughs> so, if you were to create something mm-hmm. for someone like yourself growing up, what mm-hmm. would that ideally be? Like, yeah. what would you want to mm-hmm. show someone? So, I actually have a storytelling performance. Oh,
2: well, let's get into that. <laughs> I have, a, so, so it's called Coming Out Muslim Radical I Acts of it. Love. Well, things and this is a really old one it was not meant to be something i'm like i'm not a performer life is performance gender is performance but you know like um <laughs> and so it came out about 10 years ago we so in 2011 when the 10-year anniversary of 9-11 was about to happen we spent about eight months prior my counterpart naitina who's a nigerian liberian so she's she converted to islam in 2000 mm-hmm. as a nigerian liberian woman who was a lesbian out and found her love of god within islam so most people were like oh you 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 actively chose to be a lesbian and convert to Islam. So for us as a storytelling performance, but it came up because we wanted to help people break through and figure out how to understand Islam for themselves through a study group series. Mm -hmm. And it was called Interrupting Islamophobia. And then we was through the help of a woman named Laura Marie, who's a theater maker at WOW, was born at WOW Cafe Theater. It's like a lesbian one of the, the oldest lesbian theater performance space uh, in the country and so it's it was meant to be a three night performance where it's we just kind of alternate these funny stories about my favorite parts of the show is my queer theories they're uh, they're like the root like in, you know like in the but I'm a tree leader movie okay. you're like what the, what is the thing that made you gay everyone in my life has an explanation as to like why I'm gay which is like boy George was my first concert <laughs> so like boy George made me gay I equated because my, my parents told me never have a boyfriend made me gay um I had no female friends in high school. I was like, always had guy friends because I never got the birds and the bees talk. Um. For me, storytelling is a major tool for this. And it's just a way to, it's an access point. Like, to me, storytelling is like, if I, so you and we're having this conversation now, and anybody who listens, it's like an invisible thing that ties, you know, my finger to your finger, like we're like bonded. Mm-hmm. And the next time you're faced with a, a moment where somebody says this and that, makes some bold statement that queer people can't exist or that all oh, Islam is bad or whatever it is, you are reminded. Of of this story you're like I'm not the expert in Islam but I know there are some Muslims that say this and they exist and then they're fruitful and they're happy and they're resilient and it's not all just sad and that's what storytelling does it kind of like tugs and creates empathy and it's on the heart level so people can do the hard work that's what it is for me the storytelling performance
0: Well, and speaking of which you
2: were in a movie it was in a documentary
0: yeah it counts counts as a movie (laughs) <laughs> and it
2: has an IMDb page.
0: It's called The Outlist. It was on HBO. Mm-hmm. And you talk in one of your performances about how it sort of changed your life in terms of disclosure of mm. your identity. Also, how did that even happen? So,
2: I'm a sex educator. So, I'm a teacher, and they were looking for an out teacher to talk about what it is like to be out. What is, like, you know, what are the risks of being out? What is it like for queer kids to be out? Like, you know, what is, like, the landscape in education and in school? And they ended up, you know, it was two hours, and we ended up using that piece about my family instead of the student piece. And so, I mean, it was an amazing privilege to be part of it. And it's also, it was also a really scary thing to do because I didn't tell my parents I was doing it. And it was right before it was gonna come out that, I maybe you had that moment where it was like, oh my god like this could be really bad There could be a lot of backlash. My family members who were kind of knew my, some of my aunts and my cousins and the cousins were then telling their parents who were like my mom's right. you know brought yeah. sisters that sort of thing and we were very close to the family. They were all saying like "Wasn't well, you have to like pull out you cannot use this you're going to bring shame to your parents it'll potentially kill your parents like there's so much gossip in the Afghan community especially you know my dad's always been nervous about me being out because the world is not kind to my dad who's a cis fan who has gone from bottom to the top you know they're like pretty okay at being middle class you know they're like the power holder people they're straight people that like have power and yet the world is not kind to them as power holders Mm -hmm. he's like being a double triple minority is is not safe you know he knows what that is like but the thing that was most outstanding of all of this was that my cousins and my aunts and uncles were saying we love you no matter what but don't do this it's not good for your parents it was like can you go back to the part we love you no matter what? And can you potentially go and tell my mom and dad that we love her no matter what? We're not gossiping. We don't care that hard. I had a lot of like anxiety, upset, like majorly like a down moment in my mental health for about a year. Then, but the thing that brought me out of it, I was like, you all don't care. You don't care. You love me no matter what. And I was like, you know what? That's on you for not telling my parents that you love me no matter what. Because if you really wanted to help my parents, you would just say, like, we don't give a shit. And so that was like the thing that I could take out of it. And in the end, my parents—they didn't tell my parents. Nobody told my parents. There was some gossiping that happened, but they would—people would talk about it very vaguely, like, "Well, what about the things about like, Wazina on the internet?" And I'm sure my dad's like looked up Wazina you know, on the internet. But there's only six of us in our world that has our last name. My parents made up their own last name when they got married. Oh, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know my parents want to look that up. They can find, and I hopefully, I'm sure they have. But my parents' response, anytime somebody says, what about, was he on the internet? They're like, we don't know what the internet is. <laughs> Which I just want to feel like, in my head, I'm like, that is like, you are like advocating for me. You're not sitting, yeah, you know, yeah. like, like in your own quiet, subtle way. It's also yeah. just
0: like the sweetest way to be an old person. Yeah.
2: <laughs> is to be like, nah, I've never heard uh, of yeah, it. I've never I've heard of it. I have never do not know what the it, internet yeah. is. As i know my phone. Computer? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. And also I get a lot of kind loving stuff from families that said like you know like I don't really know what it's like to be you but like I, I have a gay son and you know parents some also like non-muslim parents being like I just want you to know like I'd be proud of you if you're my kid and I'm like oh that's cool I'm like thank you that's nice like you don't and I think there's also this assumption is that some of those parents have to say those things to me because I think they think that my parents don't love me the way they like that they think I should be loved and I know there's a little bit of judgment around my parents I'm like, I really appreciate that, like, again, being like, if you were my kid, I'd be so proud of you. I'm like, my parents are proud of me, but I just, these things are not the norm for them. Yeah. Or hasn't been part of, like, the expectation of what it would be. Around six or seven, my parents told me about heaven and hell, and in the same breath they said, you're not allowed to have a boyfriend. And when the time comes, we'll pick the the man for you, we'll, you know, we'll introduce you to him. And my parents did their best to sort of straddle both cultures, like being Afghan, in the summers going to mosque and learning to read the Quran, and we only spoke Farsi or daddy at home, and then also doing things like ballet and soccer and, you know, like, black parties and those sort of things. Being queer or being gay or lesbian was never an option in our family. But I do remember seeing men and women at family functions dancing together. You know, the men dance with men, women dance with women. I wonder if I could get away with being queer under the guise of, we're just a very homosocial culture, I should have girlfriends. I think I was like 14 when I came out to myself. I'm queer, I'm, I'm gay, that's sort of the way that I think straight people just know they're straight. It was like, oh, that's what I acknowledge. I think it's important for us to reclaim words Queer is one of those words that's traditionally been used in a really negative and derogatory way. It pushes me to think outside of the binary. There aren't just female and male. There is so much more diversity um, in, in each being. I went away to college in 2000, and I never said to my parents, I'm not coming back. It's not a reality in my family. It's not a reality in my culture for a woman to not live at home. Like, you leave home when you go to the next man's home which is your husband. And in the end, I had to be really honest about, explicit about my sexual orientation. And so I wrote them this like long nine page letter. I went home to visit my parents one weekend. My dad said like, come with me to the supermarket. We should help me buy groceries. And so he did that thing where he like turned off the radio and he's like, I got your letter. I haven't shown it to your mom and I'm not going to. We're gonna figure this out together. You're already a double minority. You're a woman in this country. You're an Afghan, you come from refugee parents. You don't have to prove anything. Don't live this life of struggle, but if you want to come out about it, just know I will not be, ba- be buried in Afghanistan. To think about jeopardizing his integrity, his dignity, and his honor um, is a frightening and a very shameful, upsetting place to be. But I also know where my resilience comes from is from that same man and from that same woman. I'm out to all my students. Having out invisible LGBT teachers, it offers a young person this idea of, I can make it. If you did it, I can do it too. That will do so much for a young person, and that does so much for what that young person can offer our world.
0: So when we had Michael on last Um, season The question was The inside the actor's studio question If heaven exists What do you want God to say to you when you get there But we weren't sure how to interpret that
1: Can you just like describe or explain to us What like the afterlife paradise Oh yeah because we looked it up
2: But but
0: we were sort of There were conflicting reports in our um, research
2: What I was told was that it's like all the food you could ever want. Everything is great. And you're like, everything's perfect. I don't, I think there's something about a, getting a bunch of virgins for some people. Like, yeah. met, like if you're but like th- a martyr. That's what I who, saw like, in like some of the things. And I was like, I don't understand what this I means. Don't, yeah, I don't really, no one ever promised me this. People who like do bombings or whatever else, like, you know, those small minded Muslims, somehow they're like promised like 40 something virgins if you like do this thing in the name of God. But I was never promised that. But my dad always told me, like, heaven is, like, the best place you can go to. Everyone you love is there. You'll never get old. you never get sick. Get all the food you want. I mean, there's definitely a judgment day situation that happens. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, there's, there's, like, I mean, it's very similar. Like, Gabriel's horn blows. So, like, my fear growing up always was that, like, screen is pulled down, judgment day, all the things you did good, all the things you did bad. If or when that happens,
0: what would you want God to say to you when you, like, arrive? Like, what would you want the first thing said to
2: be? Something along the lines of, like, I saw the all the effort you put in. Thanks for all your hard work. Oh, that's <laughs> such a good answer. <laughs> it's like what I want anybody to be like, I know you tried. Doesn't mean you did well, <laughs> but you tried.
1: <laughs> and before we go, is there anything that you wanted to oh, yes. talk about or bring up that we no. did not talk about at all?
2: I just, I mean, I'm so grateful for this like conversation. And I feel like just having multiple Muslims, like queer, straight, just people talking about it. What ends up happening is that the more we talk with Muslims and like having Muslims talk about themselves for themselves is that you end up, you're like, oh, wait a minute, everything that I heard from Christian Christiane Am- Poor or whatever, Anderson Cooper, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's not that bad. And um, actually, most of Islam is not that. It's like, it's just, you're like, I didn't, that's so much, Wait, hey, we have so much more in common than not. Mm-hmm. That's what I would love for people to know and for, to people just to have more time to talk about being Muslim or ways of how they manifest Islam for themselves.
1: The thing that I think is most interesting about this is when we ask Micah the same question of, can you like describe Christianity Mm -hmm. for the first time in my entire life. He described it as just like being a good person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when we asked you that question, you were just like, it's just kind of being a good person. And this is like basically all new information for me. Yeah. (laughs) It's all being Mm -hmm. a good person, just like in different ideas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The more I learn about like different religions, the more I learn it's just about being a good person.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. How can our listeners find you if you want to say? On Facebook, I'm Wazina Zanden or coming out with some a Facebook page, Instagram, to you, you know. There's a couple of projects that are just like online things you can watch. Um, I just did a thing with them. There's a Catholic person, a Muslim, and a Jew. There were, there were individual interviews. You can watch them. It's, it's pretty good. It's really well done. And the interesting comment there they found was actually all of us performing in basically gender like Catholic man who is a drag performer, oh. a woman who left the uh, Hasidic community, but she dresses up in the clothing when she goes back to visit her community. What she wears, and I also like dress up in like my Afghan clothes at some point. So it's just like this interesting but performance. But them Huffington Post has a new thing called Perspectives that'll be coming at some time in June, I think. Like so, they're just like s- similar to the podcast where like just like kind of being queer and Muslim is possible. It may not look like the way everyone's queer experiences. It's not the same way everyone Muslim experiences, but it's possible. So there's that. And then I might be doing something called Secret Life of Muslims. That might be coming at some time, so. Oh, that's
1: sweet. Yeah. Well, that i look fancy. forward to that. <laughs>
0: we learned a lot we hope you did too
1: and if you want to know more you can go to our Instagram at one more thing and every day this week we're going to be posting about a movie or a book or some kind of pop culture that you can go and follow if you have more questions or want to just explore this a little bit more we watched a lot of documentaries and go check that out
0: yeah but thank you so much Rosina for coming in and talking to us and being just smart thank you to Tessa thank you to Mike Busey who set us up with her Thank you to 440 Studios.
1: Thank you to Megan Burnett. Thank you to Stephanie Hawkins for the pictures and for all of our Patreons that are helping us out with this season and for some cool stuff that we might have coming up. And I guess we'll see you on Friday for our one last thing. And then Monday for our next episode. Yeah. See you soon.
0: Bye. Bye.
2: I always thought I was pregnant all the time. Sure. But I still kind of do yeah, as a sex I educator. I'm always like, Christina, you know better. I'm like, you are exceptional, but God's not going to put the next day of Jesus in you. Like...